Hey friends, Dean here with some exciting news to share. You can now buy us a coffee. That's right. You can help support independent content creators like us by becoming a member of the 3324 Green Room at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324. Our episodes will always be free and that will not change, but your support at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 will help us continue to bring you the best in music and movie podcasting, in our humble opinion. As a Green Room supporter, you'll not only have our undying gratitude, but you'll also be able to vote on which episodes we record and receive other perks for as low as $3 per month. That's the price of a cup of coffee. There's absolutely no obligation and nothing about the show will change. It's not going behind a paywall. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 for all the details. The link will be in the show notes of every episode as well. We'll see you in the green room. In this episode, we're talking about an album that was supposed to be the second rock opera for The Who. That didn't happen. But what we got instead was the sensational album, Who's Next? Stay with us. Get ready for the 3324 Podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much more. Welcome to the 3324 Podcast. If you are new, we appreciate you checking us out. And if you're returning, hey, welcome back. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. We're also on social media, so follow us on Facebook or Instagram at 3324podcast. It's the right thing to do, honestly. Absolutely. Right, Eric? Yep. Follow us. Follow us. So I am Dean. Welcome to the 3324podcast. Eric is here. Hi, Dean. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Cool. How are you? I'm good. Cool. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. It's a a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mm Mm-hmm. So we are talking about the who. Yeah. The who? The who? This, this, this could really go like an Abbott and Costello routine. Sure. Who, who's we'll, on first? We'll, what? Yeah, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep it, you know, who's next? Who? who what? Who are you? <laughs> yeah. we, we could really do just a, a comedy thing and never talk about the album, but yeah. we'll just, we're going to pack that away <laughs> and, and, and get into the music side of, of who? Yeah. Who? The, who? The who? Uh, who? Okay. The who? Okay. <laughs> I think we've had enough of that. <laughs> that that <laughs> got sound like a couple quick. owls. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> got old pretty quick. So we're talking about uh, The Who and the album is Who's Next. Released in August of 1971. Produced by The Who with Glyn Johns assisting, but produced by The Who. This was their fifth studio album. And, you know, The Who, it, you know, with with their discography, especially with this album, you know, the, the before and after weren't studio albums. So we'll get to that anyway. Uh, hit number four on the U.S. charts. It went three times platinum. So that's three million copies sold. Uh, and it's number 77 in the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time. The list as of 2020. Hmm. So not that's too bad. Uh, not too shabby. Not too shabby. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, you know what? I would think that 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 would have been higher up. 
on the list, meaning meaning closer to number one. Where's Tommy on the list? Is, is Tommy? I don't, I don't know. Where, Tommy's not here. Mm. I, I think he left. <laughs> no, a, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where. I, I don't th- know where. <laughs> I think Tommy might be a little bit higher. No. You think on so? The list? I think so. Really? Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't, you know what? I didn't research yeah. that. That was a pop quiz. I wasn't ready for that. But this one is just ah, incredible. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible album. Yep. So uh, brief, brief history of The Who. I mean, there's there's not a whole lot that we're probably going to educate you on as far as that. Uh, formed in 1964, you know, kind of in the – considered the, the godfathers of rock, of punk – <laughs> they were punk um, before punk grunge before yeah. grunge they mod, mod before mod yep um they they wore a lot of hats in yeah. in a relatively short time mm-hmm. a, a, a a pretty quick and robust evolution i would say mm-hmm. that the that the who had before they kind of landed uh you know for me i'm gonna say th- this album for me and you can you can fight me on it but this album i think they really landed on their sound yeah, definitely. There, there's a difference in their previous releases versus this going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was sort of gangbusters. I mean, it, yeah, definitely. I think Glenn Johns was was a big component to that. So he's he's a world class producer. Having him on board was was a definite uh, definite plus for especially for this project. But uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of their earlier stuff was kind of hit and miss. There was a lot of, they did a lot of st- stuff in mono. They did a lot of, you know, they were just kind of, and Tommy even to me was not an extraordinarily well-sounding album either, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. very, very, very high end, very tinny. But they here, you know, they're really coming out in, in full blast here. Yeah. yeah that, that's one of the things I noticed with, with listening to this album yeah. was, I have a lot of feelings. I have a lot of strong feelings about this album, actually, after listening to the to it multiple times mm-hmm. in in the run up, and it was it was very de- it was a deceptive album, or or songs off this album were very deceptive to me, and I, I guarantee that other people might feel the same way. So I'm guaranteeing something that might happen, but yeah, that's what I'm guaranteeing is that other people. Would feel the same way because this album did come out in 1971, so that's 50 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. What struck me about this album is how on 1971 it sounds. I honestly did not. I, I always thought of Baba O'Reilly as like from 77 or yeah. 76. Yeah, it, it, you know, um, won't get fooled again. Does that does that has a a mid to late 70s sound to it? Mm-hmm. It does not sound like something that was going on in 71. You know, rock was still kind of coming out of the, the hippie thing. And what blew me away uh, upon listening to this multiple times is just how out of, I mean this in a good way, is, is how out of its time it, it felt. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll dare say uh, ahead of its time in, in, in what they were doing. I was just, I was absolutely, uh, I was blown away. Yeah. Uh, extremely prophetic. And that's largely due to Townsend. Uh, coming off of a little little backstory here, I mean, the little history, this album is actually the result of a much, much larger project that uh, Pete Townsend was trying to conceive right on the heels of a, of, a, of a rock opera of Tommy. You know, he conceived, he wanted the next album to be an, yet another rock opera. 
but at a much, much larger scale. I mean, this thing was was ridiculous in, 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 in scope and in scale. He was talking about things that would come up. I mean, he's talking about such things like uh, in the story, it's like a, a, a sort of a, in, in the near future, the, um, the environment is, is gone. It's, it's, it's a, it's a sort of a post-apocalyptic world. And that can sounds, I, can, I, can I, can I tell you what I think this sound, I, I read it. Yeah. I, I read all about this. Yeah. Do you know what this just, and I, I'm going to encourage, you know, what I'll do is, um, in the show, in the show notes, we're going to drop a link to the Wikipedia article about this. Cause it really is fascinating. Mm-hmm. What, when I read it, I was like, this is actually the matrix. Yeah. Before the matrix yeah. like he could he literally in this lifehouse uh project and and rock opera i'm reading it and i'm like this is the what he conceived was actually the matrix yeah. a, a good uh you know 30 30 something years this beforehand. is 1970 all yeah. this was being written so yeah so 40 you're talking 30 years before he it was pretty much that was the the rough concept he conceived of a character named bobby wearing everyone in in the world or is pretty much wearing these sort of like environmental type suits to survive and living in a sort of like dream state of course you know it's 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 political it's 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 sort of a a fascist thing you know they're being controlled mind controlled music is outlawed that sounds very familiar don't it i mean we've have we have Kilroy was here Kilroy was here which rush 21 rush 2112 same premise and the thing of it is, is that he, this, this character is sort of a rebel and he is broadcast. He wants to broadcast rock music into these suits so that the people can free themselves, you know? So, so the who Pete Townsend decided, okay, we're going to do this. It's going to, he wrote it like a script. It was like a movie. He was conceived it as a film. They rented, actually rented a theater in, in London called the Young Vic. And what it was, was that he was going to have the Who play live these brand new songs that were being written at the time in front of an audience and film that as part of the film. Yeah. The audience had no idea what they were in for. Yep. So, of course, it, you know, it, it obviously, you know, backfired because they didn't want to hear new material. They wanted to hear the Who play their hits at that, up to that point. Yeah. So the whole thing just kind of blew up and it, and it just didn't work out. It was a much, much, but God, the, 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 the it imagination. It was a gigantic undertaking. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. It was the, 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 the concerts, they wanted to track the people also and, and kind mm-hmm. of get, you know, he was talking about vibrations that they would create. And the, and yeah, the, the idea was, was different that. And right. A, a massive undertaking. I mean, this was, this would have been bigger. This would have ex- gone beyond just a, a, a double album set of yeah. of a story it was going to be was a live... interactive experience and mm-hmm. um I, yeah I'm, I'm gonna i'm definitely gonna drop a link in in the show notes on on the 33 I mean, he was talking website. about technology in this in this story about something called the grid this is like 1970 folks where you know the the internet is is years away you know decades away and you know something called the grid sleep, which is like a virtual reality now. So sounds like the it, Matrix. Pete, it sounds sounds like the Matrix, right? Pete, they're they're sleeping, they're living. They're, Pete they're Townsend, doing other things. he was I I I I would consider him somewhat of a savant in that sense, a very intuitive genius in that sense. He was always looking over the fence. Anything the whoever did, he was looking to do more. 
wasn't just content to be in a, in, a, in a simple rock and roll band, much to the chagrin of the of the rest of the band, because you know they just wanted to play and and I think Daltrey, you know, they were all kind of like not on board with this project, obviously, and neither was their manager. They had a lot of you know conflicts and whatnot. Kit Lambert, so it didn't work out. And yeah. Pete Townsend always said that lamented that this was the one that got away. Yeah. Because up yeah. to, even now he still talks about Lifehouse in, in, in years to come, he would in, in subsequent albums being released, he would write more songs that would be part of it. Slip yeah. Kid from Who by Numbers, Who Are Who Are You, Sister Disco. They all were conceived as part of the Lifehouse project, you know, sort of tacking on more and more songs and ideas. So it never yeah. never really went away. Yeah, and he, it just he had never some, came to had, fruition. Yeah. And he had some uh like basically a nervous breakdown over it too, mm-hmm. of of trying to trying to conceive something of that scope and magnitude. And and I don't think the who were actively against it because they went along. I mean, they they were were going along with what what it yeah. was and what he was doing. So, but still that just that massive, I guess he was having maybe maybe difficulty really conceptualizing what this was going to be because the ideas are there's just so many ideas he had within the scope of a rock band it it went way beyond that you know and and his thinking was so far ahead of of what the capabilities were almost at the time of what he like like what he wanted to do was 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 conceptualized but it wasn't really executable i think at the level that he wanted no so it, it kind of became yeah it's like ah, i can't you know you can't do it and certainly not it was logistically not a nightmare it was it was the technology wasn't quite there to actually do everything that he wanted to do yeah. uh daltrey was perplexed he, he i think he went on to say that he you know he didn't understand it all but the one thing that he did get out of it was the idea of the audience trying to, you know, uh, life in itself, you know, what is the value of life and the meaning of life? And, and especially in this, in this futuristic world, one note will save humanity at some point. Music will come and, 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 and you know, people will embrace it in their consciousness and they'll be free through music. So that was the thing that they kind of jumped on board with. That was the one idea that they all agreed. Yeah, that this is great. You know, that kind of thing. So the result was, was there was a whole series of songs that were written. Uh, there was about and, and about recorded a, and recorded and recorded. They, they and basically rec- they basically recorded the whole thing. Yes, on, uh, you know, like the the musical portion of it was done as a release. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of in the can and arranged. And and again, you can go um, you can go look at in the link I'm going to drop. It, it gives you the original track listings and it, and it lists where these other songs, like a lot of them ended up on odds and sods, which was a compilation. Yeah. Some would end up on, on other, other compilations. Besides, so, yeah. Know, so singles. Uh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they kind of very much like Brian Wilson and the beach boys with smile, with smile. Yep. Where, where smile was going to be the, Brian Wilson's masterpiece, his masterstroke, his response to Sergeant Pepper. Mm-hmm. And it was so ambitious and and he wasn't getting the support. The same thing. He kind of kind of had a, a bit of a breakdown. The the album that came out as a result of it doesn't compare to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like like Smiley Smile that came out after Smile used bits and pieces of Smile, but not it does not even compare. I would not even put smiley, smiley, a smiley smile. I would not even put it near who's next because what they did with, with who's next was with the exception of one song. And I'm going to take issue with that song later. Um, I, I know what it is too. No, 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 no. I, one song that was left off the album. Um, oh. 
that they they really probably you know and it might be a good thing that they did it this way because what you what you got was an album that was just absolutely amazing mm-hmm. i mean they literally picked the like the best of it so and and when you listen to the songs you can kind of hear that there's the sto- the songs are kind of stories yeah no and once you know that that you like once you know the story of lifehouse you can almost you can kind of pick some of it out or you can kind of yeah. get that that there there was a, a even though that they're mixed up and they don't follow the order that that lifehouse would have right um you 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 get the feeling that once you know the story of lifehouse that there's it actually gives it a little deeper for me it, when I, when I was doing, you know, the research and then Eric sent me like his recreated um, version of, of Lifehouse from, from the track listing. Yeah. I made it, um, I made a, a Spotify playlist. I took the liberty of sort of quote unquote, re- re- reconstructing the album from just from the tracks from, you know, as the who recorded them, Pete Townsend would later record them by himself as demos and he actually put out a box set in like 2000 called the lifehouse chronicles which has i use that as the basis of the of the track listing in order of, of what the songs would be you know in, in that in that order yeah i mean you know you say that you they pick the best songs off i i except for one there are songs on i that i myself feel like these aren't throwaway songs guys oh, none these of are them these, these are but yeah. but no means of a stretch of the imagination. It is not like Tommy where it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of esoteric and, you know, this is, these songs are more straight ahead rock and roll songs yeah. in service of the story, but it is, it is very, the, the songs are very much in the vein of who's next. So yeah. it is, it is not this strange, weird thing. Um, yeah. These, all the, any of the, any of these songs could, you could, you could probably have switched out a couple of these songs and still had the same impact. Right. But the fact that what we what we have on the, on the album, the way it just flows, and you know the the way it opens and the way it closes is just yeah. I, I don't I don't know that you're going to find a, a better open and close to an album, honestly. Yeah, I honestly, yeah, honestly, mm-hmm. it's just you know it, it was. It's just, again we always we always talk about those weird things that happen in music that change the course of music history, and this was one of them that. You know, Townsend couldn't couldn't launch this thing. Well, I couldn't love get it. Couldn't I get it right. I absolutely love this kind of thing. The albums that never were, the yeah. movies that never were. Right. I mean, I'm I'm so fascinated by that. You know, and, I, and the, you know, what could have been. You know, like I'm so I'm so into that. So this was very early on for me as a Who fan. I knew I have been wearing these songs in sort of my back pocket for years. Like you know, trying to get people to who love Who's Next. I said, check these songs out. These were part of it. These were, you know, trying to explain it. They were like, uh, you know, whatever. But it was just kind of like, you know, but, you know, trying to get those songs heard was it was it was because I I absolutely loved some of the track. I mean, it's a whole another album's worth of songs that yeah. were that you know, that I'm really excited, just as excited about that I am who's next. So. Yeah. So, but yeah, let's, it's just let's amazing. It, yeah. <clears throat> and you know what? I'll 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 tip I'll tip my hand. I'll tip my hand right now. Join together. <laughs> mm-hmm. The song "Join Together" by the Who was ended up being released as a single and not as any type of really album. Yeah. Was a part of Lifehouse. Yeah. If they had put "Join Together" on this album, oh my god, this would have been a, a not that it's not a, a, a knockout already, mm-hmm. but if you if you slide out, you know, 
What <laughs> my wife? My wife. I knew it. I knew you. Gonna... <laughs> you knew I was going to get to. If you, if you take out my wife and you put in join together, oh holy crap! Do you have? Yeah. Something that again, even with my wife. Well, it's um, much more cohesive because my wife was obviously not part of Lifehouse. Yeah, so that's well, which you know, we'll get to. Yeah, well, yeah. well I, I neglected to mention in my notes that that Pete Townsend wrote every song on this album except for my, my wife, wife, which was written by John Entwistle. So, so he, that that's kind of the outlier in this. Mm-hmm. And you can, we may as well talk about my wife now since we're talking about it. You can actually hear the difference. It does not sound to me like it was from the same sessions. No. Um, the, the vocals are, are almost seem like they're a little buried in mm-hmm. the mix. Uh, it, it, you know, the, it just doesn't, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with the song, but when you're listening to the, the, the way that the, that the song opens and I mean, the way the album opens and then you, you know, Bob O'Reilly bargain love ain't for keeping, then you get my wife and it, it, and then this it song is over out. after it. It it, it, it kind of st- sticks out like a sore thumb. It does, yeah. Only because only because of the way it was recorded. Mm-hmm. It just sounds so different. Well, I think lyrically too, it's kind of like it's just an odd little, you know, like they just put it in there just to appease John Entwistle. I think I don't know the. I, real, like, the, you know, I like the horns on it though. Horn. I, well, that's he plays the horns. That's him. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm you not know. totally I'm not totally down on on, on my yeah. wife. No, <laughs> it's. <laughs> <laughs> and they used to do that a lot live too. So it was yeah. a live staple and it's a decent song. It's just, yeah. you know, when it's, you know, but like you say, would join together. Oh, that it. would, that would have been, but my favorite is pure and easy from the, from those songs. From and the out, from the, we'll call them the outtakes. The outtakes. Um, I absolutely that. And T Townsend even said, he goes, I, I regret not putting that on who's next. That's the one yeah. song that should have been on there. Yeah. Cause uh, we'll get to that in a, in a, in a bit. You yeah. Know, and, as we and go through the is- tracks. This also is uh, one of the most iconic album covers, too, of yeah. the 70s. This is was inspired by 2001 A Space Odyssey. So this is the famous one of, of this kind of, you know, piling or, or their the monolith. version of the monolith yes. from, from yep. 2001 with the members walking away from it. And there's, you know, they, they urinated on it. Um, <laughs> and the story goes that Pete yeah. Townsend actually donated. He actually urinated on it. Everybody else, they put, you know, they poured water to simulate, but he actually... Said, you know, I'm. Uh, he's he was just, com- you know, really just. He's the committed. meth. He's committed. he's committed. He's method, man. He's totally method. <laughs> he was he was committed to this. You know, even if it wasn't yeah. going to be Lifehouse, he was committed to to that. So that that's the. It's one of those classic album covers too yeah. of all mm-hmm. time, right? Of of who's next, and it just kind of, yeah, just just visiting this album, like I like I said in the beginning, starts off with with Baba O'Reilly, aka. Teenage, Teenage Wasteland, Wasteland, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is, it, that's, this song is like the anthem. One of the words that came to me when I, when I was, when I sit, you know, sit down to listen to it, you know, I really kind of just really try to kind of pull away any preconceptions and, and give it a fresh list and listen, uh, the word that came to mind was majestic for Baba O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Like once it got started, it just had this like feeling of like just m- majesty and just like this, this really important song or this important yeah. statement that that was coming right um and of course teenage wasteland everybody pumps their fist at it and you know when you were young it was like yeah teenage wasteland but yeah. that's not really what you know like apparently <laughs> not, that. not to not to downplay this but it, it, yeah but a lot of people like love that song because it's so like strong and yeah it's like it's almost like a rebellious type of thing and you know but t, t. townsend himself would say that the song is not about that it's about literally 
teenage wasteland. He goes, I, I regret, I, I, unfortunately I come from the generation that, you know, where all the hippies were talking about changing the world and saving the world and nothing ever got done. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So and I think uh, it was regrettably, you know, wasn't it originally called teenage wasteland yeah. too? Wasn't that the working yeah. title? Yeah. So I, I, you know, he, he, he changed it and, and I'll be honest with you in my youth and I'm sure this is for everybody. Yeah did not know it was called Baba O'Reilly probably right. for probably for a good 25 years of my life. You think it's teenage wasteland, right? Yeah. And, and that's, and you hear people sing it and you hear, hear people when they talk about it, refer to it as teenage wasteland. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Oh, that's, that's what they're singing. That's what people are saying. So that's the title. No, it's, it's Baba O'Reilly. He, the Baba portion of it. And I think he would, Pete Townsend was like, you know, like the Beatles and their spirituality. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, learning from the teachings of of a uh, uh, a person named Meher Baba who was this sort of like you know uh indian guru uh, shaman kind of thing and so you know yeah he he had, uh, Townsend went on to say that he you know he took he took LSD and he didn't like it he didn't you know he experienced it but it wasn't like the, when everybody else took it like when the beatles took it they had this wonderful creative like he took it it was a really bad trip but the only thing that he up. the only thing that he got out of it was the spiritual side of it and which was a huge inspiration for coming up with this sort of concept which tommy actually came from that Mm-hmm. And then this moved on Not to surprising. this. Other, yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. But, just, um, just an anthem. This is just an anthem for the ages, this song. It, yeah. it honestly is. It, it is. It's one of those rock songs that it's not going anywhere. It, it's an evergreen. It's mm-hmm. It's got legs. It is not. Like I said, it does not even sound like it's from 71. So it is. Nope. Uh, I think it's eternal. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's timeless. Um, yeah. yeah, and then you, and then you, right after that, you get bargain. Oh, I love bargain too. I love which is Daltrey's another, vocal in this song. It's amazing. Daltrey's vocal across this album. Oh yeah, is different. <laughs> it, it, it's it it is. If you listen to the you know before this was live at Leeds, but then you if you go back to the the previous studio album was Tommy, which was what sixty nine. So they 69, were kind of still. Yep. 69 and then you go back and listen to some of the other stuff like pictures of lily and stuff it's it's daltrey's kind of singing like light heartedly in this album he's got like the mature voice mm-hmm. you know it's got it's throaty it's commanding i think a lot you of know, that had to do with touring a lot I, well you know, you know what it worked i mean you know, it, so, like yeah like daltrey on this album his voice is just like it's 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 commanding and it's owning the lyrics and he, yeah. and it's owning the performance and it, and and much like for for bargain and Baba O'Reilly and and you know this song is over too you you get him and Townsend kind of trading off and Townsend really has that lighter touch yeah you know even when he tries to sing hard stuff he doesn't have that growl behind no his he voice. doesn't so have a nice, voice. It's a nice contrast, especially since since Daltrey's vocals really his his style evolved into something that was really strong. But that's the um, Who. I mean, yeah, the maybe who, a nice counterpoint. Yeah, the Who is that's the, the sum of the parts of the Who. It's like yeah. you know Townsend would, anytime he ever tried to do these songs on his own, they sound nothing like yeah. the way the Who do. I mean, even though Townsend could play drums, he could you know he could work these songs up himself from the writing standpoint, and and give a working full song but him playing everything but obviously it's not what the who you know brought to the table like and whistle and moon you know that rhythm section and daltrey it's like he you know he needs these guys these guys are tailor-made yeah they're the vehicles yeah absolutely they're the vehicles for for his vision and he's not going to compare with ent whistle i don't don't care what 
how Townsend can play. No, um, he's he's not, not. going to be able to do it the way he might be able to play base parts, but he's not going to play the base parts the way Entwistle could. Right. He and plays then, and then more of a we we talked about this in base the base, you know, but he's uh, t- Entwistle plays the base like lead. Yeah, and Townsend would step back and basic. play a lot He'd of rhythm be very guitar. Basic. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if if, if Townsend was going to do this on his own, it would be more probably very basic mm-hmm. bass playing because he's not the you know the virtuoso right. on that instrument instrument that Entwistle. Yeah, same so thing then, with the drums. Like he just yeah. giving these sort of like you know steady beats just to get the song written and made. You know, so but nothing like Keith Moon where he's he's like Animal from the Muppets. <laughs> it's like yeah, all over absolutely, the place. absolutely. Yeah. So next you got Loving for Keeping, which is just a little quick. It's like a little quick ditty. You know, it's nice. It, it's it kind of, you know, kind of keeps the keeps the the music rolling because it's yeah. such a short. It's a short one. It kind of gets you in and get out, right. which then <laughs> then sets you up for for my wife. My wife. <laughs> uh, which again, we're making fun of it. It's not a, it's not a horrible song. It's not a bad song. It's just yeah. it's easy to it's easy to pick on it. W- w- you know, if you're looking at the pedigree of the other songs and the quality. Yeah. It, it does stick out. We, we are being a little a little facetious, but uh, it, it does nothing wrong with it. And Whistle wrote it about his wife, and he, he kind of it, kind of blew up the circumstances, made him a little more dramatic, just because you know for the so- sake of the song. Yeah. But it's got that nice horn to it too. I, I like that, which kind of which kind of draws you in. That that's really what makes it accessible. The song itself, there's, there's not a lot to it because of the way it's produced. But when the when those those horns kick in, it's like oh okay, it's like kind of like a little. Uh, it, it gets a little funkier, no. Yeah, he has another song. It was actually released before uh, the Lifehouse project, which was the EP, because they didn't have any new material. So they quickly recorded a bunch, a batch of songs to, to kind of fill, and that included "Naked Eye" and uh, uh, "Water," and there was a song called "Postcard," which is very, very similar to "My Wife." It has the horns. It has a sort of funky bass to it. And I, I actually like that song better than My Wife because it's it, it moves. It has a groove, you know. <laughs> He's getting a little funky there. But, yeah, it does stand out. And uh, it's just an odd little odd little thing. He's always yeah. writing those odd songs anyway, Entwistle. He's not, you know, yeah. the most Boris, proficient songwriter. Boris the Spider. I'm yeah. going to keep going back to Boris the Spider. <laughs> and he sang that, too. Yeah. Um, yep. So, well, you know what it is, though? It kind of kind of cleanses the palate for This Song Is Over, which is just another big song. It's one of those songs that you you definitely they would definitely play this on rock like rock radio like classic rock radio definitely I definitely heard this I just didn't realize that this was that song it's called yeah. the song is over um, which is just an ama- really it's it's got that contrast again you know this time you've got Townsend singing the verses but and then you have Daltrey coming in on the chorus just really blowing it out yeah he you Townsend know, just, start, just, starts off light with Townsend on the piano yeah. and he's like this light and then this. Daltrey coming in with these strong vocals. And then at the end of the song, they uh, do they sort of a little reprise or uh, of 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 pure and easy, which is not on the album, unfortunately. And that's the reason why Townsend wanted it on the album. If it had it's been one of those things where they recall, you know, yeah. lyrically, and you know, so it's a shame that you know we don't get to hear that in in the same batch, you know? So, but, uh, it, it's a gorgeous song. It's one, it's probably one of my favorites off the, off the album. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, when you get to side two, you get getting in tune. Actually, you know what? I, I prefer my wife actually to getting in, in tune. Really? I would say, yeah, I would say getting in tune is probably not my favorite only because it, for me, it gets a little repetitive towards the end. And yeah. it's kind of like, okay, like, you, you know, if they had said what they needed to say, I would have replaced, that, for me, you know, I would have replaced getting in tune with pure and easy. 
I would have replaced getting in tune with join together. Well, I think, well, like I said, I mean, these, all of these songs should be on the, on the record, right? I mean, come on. And then you, you would have had a side, you, if, if, if Join Together was the first song on side two, you would have had a second, a, a second side of an album that no one would have been able to touch. Mm-hmm. No one would have been able to touch it. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the, because the next song is, is going mobile, which is a Townsend, Townsend solo vocal. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is great. This is another song that's been all over classic rock radio going mobile, um, you know, cause they would just go deep on the who uh, classic rock stations, just totally, totally go to town on, on what other stuff can they play? Uh, and going mobile was definitely one that I was familiar with. I love, I love this one. And I can almost picture Pete Townsend like sort of jumping around on stage with this one. Like, right. He's just, you know, keep me moving. And he's like, bam, bam, and he's like bopping up and down, you know, and it has that, that weird, synth thing going on like we you know we didn't talk mm-hmm. about the synthesizer on Bob no, this you know but the you know on a few of the songs in the album he's you know he's playing synthesizer which at that point in time not a lot of people were using so again doing things that were not prominently being used yet i mean you know you had some of those progressive bands like yes and but that even then it was like more organ and yeah. straight up piano than it was actual synthesizer so he mm-hmm. was you know he was actually using this electronic sound, like it was a, like a weird, wacky kind of thing, and it, 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 and that's what made the the song sort of futuristic in a way, like you know. So you get that kind of feel. Uh, but with going mobile, has, he gets a little wacky with it, so I could just see him kind of bopping up and down, like jumping around on stage with yeah, that it's one. Just, so it's, it's, it's fun. A, it's a bouncy song. It's yeah, a, it's just, yeah. It's, it's just like a, a bouncy kind of fun. Yeah kind of interlude right it's right. you know there's there's a lot of like big songs on this album and and big vocals yeah and this one's just kind of there you know it's yeah just even his even Townsend, <laughs> townsend's vocal he's he gets he gets a little loud in this one keep me moving you know yeah. like over 50 you know it's, <laughs> it's, yeah it's, but, great. But it's just a nice you know? it's just a nice boppy song it's yeah. just kind of like a quick you know uh pro- probably the closest thing probably the closest thing to a pop song on this album yeah yeah. Right. And nothing, yeah, nothing, sure. nothing wrong with that. There's no. nothing wrong with that. No. Um, Cause all the other songs are, are, are for the most part, quite long and many, many epics. And then speaking of that, you've got one of the, the, the classic, classic who songs. And again, th- this album is just chock full. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, this is high, a highly recommended. Listen is, is sit back and, and just kind of be like, wow, this, all this was on this album mm-hmm. uh, behind, behind blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And I think both Townsend and Daltrey relate to this song. I, I, Townsend, I don't know what what the premise was behind it specifically, but Daltrey relates to this song a lot too. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they, you know, they were always they they did a lot of fighting. There was a lot of anger within the band. One, one day Townsend would be angry. Daltrey is like, "What are you What are you doing?" And the next day, that you know, it was it was Roger Daltrey who was who was pissed off about something. And and there was always that sort of infighting going on and even to fit, you know, like physical, like they would get into oh, yeah. fist fights and stuff and get bloody. And it would, it was just, you know, crazy. So there's a lot of, there was a, it speaks to a, a lot of anger, I think, at, you know, and of course, you know, you integrate that into the story, I guess it, it fits in a, in a, in a, in a way of re- rebellion and, and just, yeah. sort and of, I, you and know, I like, I like that, that, you know, that second part with Daltrey, yeah. you know, when, when, my, when fist my fist clenches, clenches crack it open, crack it and, open. Yep. You know, if, you know, it's just like, you know, before uh, I use it and lose my cool, you know, when I yeah, smile, I just really tell like me some that, bad news. That, yeah. th- those sets of lines. Yeah. 
I swallow something, you know, put your, put your finger, put your finger down, down my throat. throat. Yeah, it's just great. <laughs> just a lot of what, like just a lot of phrases kind of linked together and just the way Daltrey kind of, de- kind of delivers them too, like a, like a little bit of force, you know, like almost like, like pleading to do like to do those things, you yeah, know, get rid of the bile, um, get rid of the anger, yeah. get it out of me, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's just, like a, you know. just a, uh, cause it's, it's kind of gentle in the beginning. It's just very, very, you know, not melancholy, but very ballady and, and just the, you know, the beautiful guitar, beautiful and, harmonies uh, on this song. Yeah. Between and then it, then it kicks in. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just like, then it, it just kind of kicks in and, yeah. Uh, you, you end up with just another, another who classic. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, <laughs> it is, it's like, how do we, you know, th- this is like, this is like wiffle ball, this, this album. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to talk about, right? It it's is. like, it's just go, like, go listen to this thing and you'll be like, uh, all right. Especially, very- even if you're not a who fan, I, I'm a casual who fan. I'm a diehard you know, fan. I've, I've, yeah, you know. so we're we're on both we're we're on opposite sides of the coin. It's like I, you know, I I never I never got into the Who, like we like we've always talked about. There there are bands that you're getting into something else, so you mm-hmm. miss three or four other things that you yeah. may have gotten into. Right. And yeah, you were deep into the Who. You had f- other friends that were into the Who. For me, it was like yeah, I, I dug the hits just like anything else, like Elton John or whomever. So getting into this album and listening to this brought you know it brought a whole level not that i didn't respect them uh just brought a whole level of respect though mm-hmm. um only because of of the timeless timelessness of this album yeah. it does I, i'm gonna keep saying it right you're gonna get tired it does not sound like it's from 71 no. i'm sorry it just doesn't especially with won't get fooled again won't get fooled again with that whole with that whole synthesizer instrument that whole beginning part mm-hmm that that is firmly late seventies sounding, <laughs> like that that fits in with like what Boston was doing and, yeah. and sticks and and meatloaf Manf- or just just like all those Manfred people. Mann's Earth Band and yeah. you know like I think of Blinding by the Light you know it's yeah. just kind of like this is like you know, five yeah. and six years ahead of it yeah and these were these were st- rock staples in the mid to late seventies doing this yeah. stuff so yeah yeah won't get so, fooled yeah. again it's just it's just that um, and, and if you listen to the lyrics of this one you you kind of understand that this fits in with the story of Lifehouse as mm-hmm. well. You know, it, it really, it, it really does kind of make it interesting to find out about it and compelling to, to, to read more about the, the actual story of Lifehouse and what the concept was and, and how the songs fit in because they are, they, they all are, are independent thoughts. Again, we get them, we get them rearranged. We don't get them in, in any semblance of order. And then like Eric said, there's a whole album's worth of information for the story that's left out anyway. Yeah. So you're kind of left with bits and pieces, but God, but this you know, was the, a, the bits and pieces are just amazing. This song was actually Townsend. I think he quoted as saying like he, this was for the, the who fans. These were for the audience. This is a won't get fooled again means we're playing for you guys, but we're not going to, we're not the end all be all. There's going to be other players that are going to come along. And again, it's that prophetic way of thinking there's going to be some other band that's going to take our place. And he's already thinking about this stuff at the, at the yeah. crux of their creativity. He's already thinking about who's going to come down the road and, and you know, that kind of thing. So, like I said, always looking over the fence to, at, at the future, at, at what's to come. And, and I got to grasp it now. I got to I got to do what I can. And he was so involved in so many other things, too. I remember him. He was a publisher. Yeah, like he had his own publishing, Eel Pie Publishing, books. We're not talking about music public. We're, mm-hmm. we're talking about books. Like a, he yeah. had like a bookstore. Like you know, he was into so many other things. Pete Towns. It's just crazy, crazy. 
Yeah, I definitely put yeah. him up there with the likes of uh, all the great eccentrics, you know, Brian Wilson, Jack White, and, you know, just oh, yeah. he you was, know, the he innovators. Was the that, you know, he's, he's, he's the driving, yeah. he's the absolutely you know? the driving force of the who. Yeah. Um, just a, a sad little footnote about, about won't get fooled again. This, that's the, the last song that Keith Moon would actually play live with the band. Mm-hmm. Cause it was always their, their, pretty much their closing song. Their closing song. So, yeah. uh, yeah, that was the last song that, that he played live with them. Cause he would pass away in 78. As a matter of fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the, the, the video that you always see whenever they talk about the song Mm -hmm. where Daltrey's wearing the striped shirt from, from the kids. All right. Yeah. That could have been, that could have been the actual last performance. I hope hope not. You know, but, uh, yeah, sad, but that would be a little morbid. (laughs) Yeah. But so and that that closes that closes out the album. I mean, um, fr- from from front to back and back to front, this is just something. Uh, I mean, let me. I'm going to count real quick: one, two, three, four, five, six. So uh, I'm going to say, out of the nine songs, you've got a strong six that that you've got a w- way better than than fifty percent odds that you've heard and you know. Mm-hmm. Again, that that's that's easy peasy to listen to this and 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 understand that fifty we're celebrating the fiftieth anniversary of this album and it's just amazing. It's it's so timeless. I it's can't, rich. I can't it's a very it. rich experience. It is. To, you know, you listen so to it. It's like it's. it's just, I don't want to listen to anything else. It's the kind. <laughs> that's, it's that kind of album where you you put it on and you experience it. And it's like I'm 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 good. I'm done for the day, you know, like I, I'll, tomorrow I'll listen to something else, but this is, yeah, it's, it's so well produced. You know, it has yeah. such a crisp, uh, a crisp sound to it. And and again, because you've got Daltrey just taking it to the next level, kind of, kind of the way Robert planted on Led Zeppelin too. Like there's that jump yeah. where you, you, you sound like you're kind of an amateur or you've got a kind of a light voice and then you reemerge and, and, and Daltrey emerges on this album in a big way. I mean, he just delivers the bombast. Yeah. Right. Of, of that. And, and I'm going to put it out there. Uh, I, I have it in my notes and you can maybe, uh, let's get your answer on this. Uh, won't get fooled again. Greatest scream in rock and roll. Ooh, I think so. At the end, I think that is, that well, might be, that's the, probably the greatest scream well, in rock and roll. Okay, well, thinking. let's talk about that drum solo first. No, wait, wait, yeah. I'm talking about the scream in rock no, and roll. I'm, I'm talking, talking about, about drum the, the, the drum solo that leads into that scream is the most yeah. iconic thing right there. It is. I remember my, a, a buddy of mine used to, we used to take drumsticks and we would play along to that to that drum song we got it and we got it down man we were like playing on pillows and and, and, and just and we knew like exactly what keith moon was doing we played it so many times you know what then, you yes, know sounds that, like that that in, the inspiration for that was to me what's that uh the end from abbey road from ringo when ringo was doing all those fills it's not obviously the same it's not even close I, I see I what you're saying. It, the, it has that progression. It has that, that where the song where yeah. the song breaks that where the song breaks, mm-hmm. right? And it kind of it kind of goes into the background, and then you get these all these different drum fills. Not it's not anything like the end because you know Ringo's was a little more straightforward, yeah. but it really just reminded me of that kind of epic closing. But, can but can yeah. we get to can we get to the scream now? Yeah, great, <laughs> is great, greatest great, greatest scream in rock and roll. Or no, I do. I yeah, I, I agree. I think so. Maybe something from Plant might be in the. This is we're talking screen. We're not talking like held held note 
and and how high and how long. Well, it, well he does the, hold the scream. It, That's he the does, thing. but this is a scream, and and yeah. this is just like just he just lets it out and he lets it rip and and i don't think you know i was really trying to think hard on it and, and i don't know that there was there was another one no, i don't know I mean, that there's another one again maybe maybe plant, maybe something that plant did maybe i don't no, know plant no, i don't think plant never i mean he screamed while while but singing lyrics and then this was a full-on no, just sort of like maybe immigrant song letting loose and, and just sort of <laughs> yeah but not you know but this yeah this throaty it's iconic. Yeah, this it's, is it's, like a this is a growl, a scream, yeah. a howl. Uh, it, it's a lot of things in in one. And and the great thing about it is you get it at the end of the album, and you're and like you said, you're kind of satisfied after that. Mm-hmm. Like they like they just with 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 won't get fooled again. They just lay it all out yeah. uh, at the end. Like they that's this is how you close an album. Yeah. Like when, when you're, when you're, when you're kind of wanting more and you're kind of like, Oh, you know, like, wow, what, what else? The, the, this does not go out with a whimper. It goes out not only with a bang, it goes out with a cannon shot. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Right. I no, mean, no, you know. I, you're right. You're right. And it wouldn't, that would not be the last song on the sequ- sequential order of Lifehouse. song is over. It was actually closes the album, which would yeah. be. A little bit you know, more melancholy. If it was more of a, uh, you know, like telling the story. If you were following, the, you know, an actual story and a concept, it would be a, a good fit. But here, no, that's not that's not what you're you're dealing with. So, yeah, you're right. It's just the perfect ending. Yeah, I mean, especially but, you when know. you when you open with Baba O'Reilly, so you yeah. open with something that really kind of sets sets the expectations. You're, Grabs you really right st- in. Grabs yeah, you're right setting in. You're, yep. you're setting your expectations pretty high. Mm-hmm. With with Baba O'Reilly and just the impact on that, and and you get a strong follow up with Bargain, and then you kind of get some some album tracks, and then you get you you they close like with Going Mobile, Behind Blue Eyes, and Won't Get Fooled Again. It's just like that. That's just like one home run after another. Yeah, but I I I, I, I God, I just love some of those other tracks though. Pure and Easy, Joined Together, The Relay. Another one I love is a, is a little. These are quirk. these are lifehouse tracks. These are lifehouse tracks. Uh, another one that I, was one of my favorites is, is I don't even know myself. Has this sort of weird kind of it's a it's a it's a first it's a rock song and then it cuts into this weird like I don't mind if you try you know try once and it's like dude and it's like you know Keith Moon playing like a rim shot like it's like like you know it's this weird almost something like the. I don't know, the traveling Wilburys would do or something like mm-hmm. it. it was just odd. And then it cuts in, it goes back into the Daltrey. And again, another great scream on that song too. Not, not as, not as long, not as sharp, but it's, it's, it has that Daltrey vocal mm-hmm. there as well. So, I mean, it's just real. These tracks are not fillers. They are not throwaway type songs. And it's a shame that they're not as prominently heard. I guess if you're really into the who you do know about them, you have heard them. You might have collected, you know, but they're at the time they were hard to find because they were on like you had to get singles. Yeah, they were spread. They, they were sprinkled throughout their discography. Multiple compilation albums. There was like Odds and Sods was one of the first leftover type albums. That, you know, that type other other bands would do it. And again, another sort of who first, who did it first kind of thing, where that you know they just put out an album like that. It's a shame that you know these songs weren't as prominently featured you know so but yeah. one thing i so, did get out of it, of it on- though the experience of lifehouse not coming to fruition we wouldn't have quadrophenia which is 
one of my well, yeah, that was, my, my top so, five favorite albums of all time. So, so that was the where we're going next is they yeah. would put out Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy, which is another kind of compilation greatest hits album, greatest old, hits, yeah, and then get into Quadrophenia. So you you kind of see that like this was their fifth studio album, but this always seemed to be like something in between as like kind of like a placeholder, yeah. While they kind of ran, like you, you just can't do this thing, these things all the time, yeah. you know. That you need to kind of, kind of get past Tommy. You need to get past Lifehouse or who's next before you can move on to Quadrophenia. So you know, there's you know, just the same way between between Tommy and who's next was live at Leeds. So there's it's kind of like these in between yeah. live albums and, and a lot of compilations mm-hmm. um, that that they would put out. But that kind of would would give them the breathing room. Yeah, then, it was content, just to, much to like then, you know. And here it's like, well, the Beatles were, were always recording new stuff, though. This was like new, like fillers, but they were brand, you know brand new songs. Here it's like multiple, multiple like uh, older stuff and just kind of cobbled together and that kind of thing. Yeah, just well, to Live get Leeds was well received. That was that was a well received album. It's one of the greatest I mean, was, live albums of all time. Yeah, so that yeah. it was no slouch. So, that wasn't just right. uh, you know let's let's slap a label on something and get it out there. I mean that was you know really in part of their part of their canon of uh, in, in their discography. It doesn't show up as as a studio album, but it's certainly. And that's, um, I think that's the album that one. really put the who on the map as far as rock and roll. You know, this was, this, this was not, you know, like Tommy was like, we talked about before it was very tinny, you know, sort of, you know, live at Leeds, you know, capturing that on, on, on tape or, or on album or vinyl. It was, it was like you hearing the band as they were meant to be heard and, and, and really cranking it up and loud. And they were mm-hmm. doing songs that, you know, the original versions were not as half as good as the way they did it you know, like young man blues and, and things like that. It was just, wow. You know? <laughs> so, you know, and Quadrophenia for me, uh, again, another concept album, but a much simpler story, uh, you know, just tells the story of a, a young mod named Jimmy, who's, I related to it much more than I ever related to Tommy. Um, just being a misfit myself and just relating to that idea of trying to fit in and that kind of thing. So, uh, that that's that's a very special album to me, Quadrophenia. So you know, I wouldn't say I don't know if it's I, I would say it's be, I like it better than Who's Next, but you know, I I, I admire Who's Next for what it is. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's Lifehouse is part of it for me. Yeah. You know, those other songs are are just as much a part of it as the album itself. So absolutely. Did you yeah. did you ever get to see the Who live? I did not. Ooh. They were the one that got away. You know, I got one. I got one up on you then. Yeah. So I did. I, I did see them in '89, which was the 25th anniversary of them forming. It was their 25th anniversary tour. Yeah. And uh, that was just. I mean, they did 33 songs uh, on that tour, and it's just like one, pretty much one after another, of hit, 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 hit. And of course, they did. Um, the last two songs was behind blue eye on that tour behind blue eyes and won't get fooled again. So they did kind of replicate a little bit for, for someone that uh, back then that didn't really know <laughs> they did replicate who's next. Yeah. Uh, the, the closing of it and, and doing behind blue eyes and don't, and won't get fooled again. Uh, that was with Entwistle, So he was still alive. So that was the trio who was uh, Simon Phillips was on drums there. Yeah. I was supposed to have gone to see them in their 82 farewell tour. And I, 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 <laughs> which I, turned out to be a lie. <laughs> I talk, I talk about this with clenched teeth because I, it didn't work out. Let's just put it that way. I was mm-hmm. promised a ticket. I didn't get it. I was climbing the walls. I was so angry. And 
it, it wasn't me. Just, just just to put it out there, there's no animosity. This this these were two separate instances. I went in '89. He went. He was. He didn't go in '82. This yeah. <laughs> um, and what makes matters worse is come when you come to find out that this was the this, this was the clashes who op- they opened up for the who. This was their last performance at Shea Stadium. Really, and that would have been yeah. you. You would have you would. Have I would seen, have seen if, that. Well, eighty, but eighty-two also. You would have you would have seen Kenny Jones, who was the Kenny replacement. Jones. Yes. Who replaced? You know, they they did. They didn't pull a Zeppelin. So when when Keith Moon passed away, uh, which which is a great. It's 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 as impactful mm-hmm. as John Bonham passing away. It it is as impactful to the band. Yeah. You know, Keith Moon was as much a, a part of the sound as Bonham was to Led Zeppelin. The different difference was is that Zeppelin took their chips and went to the cashier and said, you know, what, we're done. We're, we're not going to continue. And the who took, took a couple of years off, but then they decided to, you know, they grabbed Kenny Jones, who was from the faces or the small faces, mm-hmm. a very competent drummer. I like, not wrong with Kenny Jones. Well, I'm kind of a thankless job though. Uh, I'll you know, go as far as it. to say that technically speaking, Kenny, no, Jenny, oh, Jenny Jones was a better drummer than Keith Moon, only yeah. from the technical standpoint, he could keep, you know, time, much better than Keith Moon ever because Keith Moon was just a maniac. Yeah. yeah. He just played what he wanted. Right. But that's, but it worked. That was part of the yeah. special thing about it. Whether you thought he was a great drummer or not, it worked for this band and what they were doing. Kenny yeah. Jones was much more straightforward and, you know, but the, 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 the overall tone of the band changed when Keith. Yeah. Moon and, died and, too, if you so. wanna, and if you want to hear the difference, if, so yeah. if you're like, Oh, well, what, what difference does the drummer make? listen to any listen to any anything off of of who's next listen to let's just make it easy listen to won't get fooled again mm-hmm. then go and listen to, to you better you bet which is another dances. popular song we'll, we'll keep it with popular stuff off face dances and that's that's kenny jones playing mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing wrong with it it's, it's a very accessible and it's a great song it's kind of like their comeback actually it was kind of yeah. like oh they you know they kind of came back into the eighties. Daltrey had short hair. It was kind of like, you know, kind of, you know, yeah, they were shorter. trying to change. They yeah. were trying and, to move on. So, and, and yeah. Kenny Jones was a part of that. So listen yeah. to, listen to you better, you bet. And that's kind of like, we'll put it in quotes, the new who, or, yeah. you know, we're continuing on and then listen to, uh, won't get fooled again. And you'll definitely hear there is a difference. There's, there's a, we, I think we, we talked about it on an, on another, another show about drummer. We were talking about drummers, how there's how moon. And I think it was Bonham too, has that like, or, or no, it was Dave Grohl we were talking about. Feels like that that unleashed, yeah. but in, but but reigned reigned in chaos, right? Where yeah. where it just goes to the edge of of being a mess, but it's reined in enough that it works. You know, if, if it goes out any further, it's gonna be yeah. Like this person is not playing in the same band yeah. and not playing the same music. And there's plenty of videos on YouTube if you watch that of, of drummers not playing the stuff that is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see how that works. But when it, when there's someone that's just on that edge enough and knows where where that where the line is and where to, to not go past, mm-hmm. that that's when you get something special. And and that's un, that's what's unmistakable about the Who is is that drum sound is, is kind of unleashed a little bit and, and not exact, yeah. but it, it fits for, for the kind of music they're making. And that's where that, those punk aesthetics come from. And that's, that's where, right. you know, uh, you know, and, and, and from, and from what Townsend was doing as well and, and smashing instruments when they were younger, that certainly helped cement the whole, Oh, these guys are punk rocker. You know, that the, the, it was a multitude of things. It wasn't just one thing, but, but go ahead and listen to that and then listen to you better, you bet with Kenny Jones. And that's very competent. It's got the it's got the drum fills in it. He's got all that he's got all the playing. Is it a different type of music anyway? Yes, because it's it's more it's not 80s, 
it's more poppy. Um, it's you know, more little, poppy. Little bit, yeah. It's yeah, more, it more feels more like a Pete Townsend solo record. If it's the kind of thing that Pete Townsend would have done like empty glass, mm-hmm. um, which was, which came out around the same time. So it feels more like something that he would, you know, it doesn't, it ha- doesn't have the power that they had. Yeah. It's a little pulled back. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's accessible. There's some great little songs. Actually, I think Entwistle has one of the best songs in there called The Quiet One. And it's it's actually a hard rocking song. And Kenny Jones is amazing on that song, you know, with with his with, with Entwistle's bass. But again, not quite the same dynamic, but more straightforward. But it's still really, really good. And then and that's, you know, so, yeah, it's a little bit different there. And but, you know, I, I, I wanted to see that that show. God, I wanted to see that show so bad because I thought that was it. You know, this was supposed to be their farewell. <laughs> Little did I know that they would keep coming back, you know. <laughs> but to me, and we talked about this many times, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like to me, it's just it's with just Townsend and Daltrey now. It's just more or less an army of musicians behind them. It's not really the who to me. It's not something that I re- would be interested in really seeing if I had the opportunity yeah. He's he's in decent I voice. I mean, Dalt- yeah. Daltrey's in decent voice too, and that that's you know. what's important. Like, I guess when you when you're thinking about these these decisions of do I go do I go see a band that's older, um, especially something like this. You're talking out of you're obligation, talking, you know? Yeah, out of, like, yeah, out of obligation. You want to cross it off your quote unquote bucket list. Yeah, uh, you know, I think you need to take that in consideration too. Is is if if Daltrey can still sing then it's worth it to go see the performance. Even if you think of it as a solo thing or you think of it as, as Daltrey Townsend band or whatever, you're, you're still going to see the performances of those songs, right? Yeah. And you're still going to see the guy. If the guy can deliver it, you're, you're going to get the experience, right? Yeah. Uh, you're, obviously, if people are, it, it's it's not like Entwistle and Moon are, are alive and they're choosing not to participate. There's there's no choice, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not like there's a falling out and, and they're not deciding or they're retired. Yeah. Um, th- this is what you're left with. So, so when you, when you kind of come to those, uh, our acts that are so late in their career, I mean, God bless the Rolling Stones. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, I did say them though. I saw the stones. <laughs> yeah. I did I get mean, to see they're them. All, no. They're all there. Right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're, they're all there in the head, but they're all there on stage. In person. That's right. Yeah. You know, God bless them. And they're, and they're still cranking it out. So, you know, it, once everything settles down and shows start again, it, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to, you know, think about reconsidering those things and saying, you know what, let, let me, let me just go see, yeah. you know, a, 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 you know, even if it's a curiosity, you know, go, right. um, I don't think they're playing giant stadiums anymore either. So you might even be seeing, see them in a little more, a smaller venue, which might be a little bit better too, and enjoyable, True. a little more intimate, yeah. you know? Well, maybe, um, you know, if they come around, hopefully when this thing is over with you know or you go see me i, I saw him in 89 so i'm good so you you're saying you wouldn't want to go with me to see them <laughs> i i saw i saw them i saw them 32 years ago hmm. so i i think i'm all right okay. <laughs> i saw the, i i saw them when they were young <laughs> well there you lay, go i was gonna, I was gonna lay into you there you go. So, I was going to let you have it. I, I saw I saw them in '89, and well, like well Townsend, you know, t- that like and the 40. fact that that Townsend is just unfortunately he's just a miserable bastard today. Yeah. You know, like he's very, you know, uh, it's a shame. Like I, you know, such a talented guy, and he, all he, you know, he's got something to say about everybody, everything, and he's like he just he's well, so he, negative, and so I just become, don't like. You become opinionated, you know, right? Uh, true, but uh, I don't know. It's like he did get old. 
before you know like <laughs> before, you know before he you know before he got old he didn't die before he got old right exactly so <laughs> so and and you know the the who did get into the rock and roll hall of fame that that goes without saying mm-hmm. uh but we're gonna say it uh they got in in 1990 uh and they were they were inducted uh by you too you too in, inducted them so that's that's pretty neat and then oddly enough kenny jones right who was kind of the we'll call him really he was only really as far as recording goes right uh, up until now uh he was the second drummer he was only there was only ever two drummers in the who we can pretty much call it that he's in the rock and roll hall of fame but not did not get inducted with the who look at that chew on that for a while he got inducted in 2012 as a member of the small faces and the faces so so he got he got in sideways (laughs) you know not not with his work with the who but the stuff that he had done in you know in the 60s uh you know, with uh, with the with the faces slash small faces, um, yeah. so that's kind of neat. That at least he got you know he, again he had a thankless job, but um, he 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 did the best he could, and he he did fine. Yeah. I, I like Kenny Jones. No, he did. Yeah, he I do too. He he you know competent drummer, like I said, talented. He was you know he he fit the mold for what they were doing at the time. So you know, yeah, and but. you know the the who would would go on to you know continue the the we'll call it the, the hits i mean the you know quadrophenia would have you know love rain, rain over me right yeah. um and uh, well that's that's a, that's the thing that we mean when they kept coming back and they weren't putting out any new material at that point that's what i felt like it was like okay i don't want to see them because they're they made this grand announcement that they're they're breaking up and all this stuff they keep coming but to me it just felt like they were doing it for the money which well, yeah, tur- kind of so, turned me off and so the, the, yeah, their, their last album proper in quotes was was it's hard so they, they with with well, Kenny they did Jones, put out they, two they, they did face dances then they did it's hard but then later it, uh, in 2006 they would come out with endless wire and endless then wire, in 2019, and they, in 2019 so but yeah. as far as like like what you're calling classic who that you're considering to be the who it's hard in, in 1982 would would be the last album that they would put out really as it, it, during and let's call it their heyday. It's got Eminence Front on it. We've talked about Eminence Front before. Uh, Athena, There's some good tracks. A nice, Athena. nice, fun song, right? Song called um, "It's Your Turn" with uh, your Andy Fairweather Low plays on that song. See, he my plays man, the guitar on that song. Yeah, there you go, my man. Find out. And that's an Ed Whistle song. That's a John Whistle yeah. song that he yeah, doesn't so he, he, sing. He got a few things. in there, yeah. He yeah. You know, and whistle and whistle got a few shots in in between, you know, you know, with uh, Pete Townsend looking the other way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess and whistle gets to, yeah. gets to gets to get a few in. He's like the he's like the George Harrison of true of the Who, right? It's yeah, kind of like you know, he's 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 he's, yeah, he's, got, he's a he's a songwriter in his own right. He put out a few solo albums, quite a few. So around he um, was involved in some projects, yeah, yeah, and, with and, other and, groups and, and stuff. You know, so so yeah. he was he had his own thing going and. But again, when when you've got someone as formidable as Pete Townsend, it, it's tough to get something in edgewise. You know, when when he's doing stuff like like Lifehouse and Quadrophenia, I mean, he's just like taking up all the air in the room because his projects right. were back then were so big and so expansive and just so like you know lo- such a large undertaking that there's no room to, for somebody to get something else in on there. If he's got a, a concept album, you know, for Tommy, he's got a concept for Lifehouse, he's got a concept for Quadrophenia. Where where do you fit in? You well, I, I would, I would, I would uh, venture to say that pretty much every album they put out in the '70s, even after Quadrophenia, even though they weren't considered, they were concepts. You know, Who by Numbers was a 
a very personal album. So it had that strong theme throughout. It, it was it basically saying the same thing. It had very sort of self-deprecating type songs that Townsend would write. It was kind of a low point in his career. And then Who Are You was a very, prof- it was basically saying, well, we're changing. We got to, we got to change with the times. That's what that album had to say, at least for me. There was a lot of new song. There was a song called New Song on there, which basically says that, mm-hmm. you know, we got to, we got to change. We got to, there's a song called Music Must Change. There's, you know, again, that concept of, of knowing full on that, and almost maybe, you know, I, of course, Keith Moon was not doing well at that point. He was, yeah. he was very, you know, un- addicted to, and, and, and Townsend was always worried that, you know, he was probably going to go. Gonna, he was going to chuck him if he didn't clean yeah, up. You right. know, it was kind of like, you know, say, same thing that happened with with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, the drummer. You know, same thing, just substance abuse issues. They're going to they're going to chuck him. And who, they did fire him a couple times, but yeah, um, the song "Who Are You" was actually the last song that Keith Moon played on in the studio. Mm-hmm. And he and that he that really took a toll on him because you know at that point his drumming, you know, he just wasn't as you know, his, he was, it was a struggle to even keep a beat much less, you know, do what he normally does. So, so that it's sad, you know, but, but I think Townsend knew it. I think again, there's that intuitiveness to him that he knew this is it, you know, we're changing here. And that was the decision. Do we carry on or do we do the Zeppelin thing and not carry on? Mm-hmm. But they decided to go forward. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it took a few <laughs> years off and, you know, kind of, made some decisions and, and, yeah. and went forward. And yeah. They, and they had two, two decent albums and then they just became, you know, which, which does happen though. You stop recording. doesn't mean you're not prolific. You know, you, you do take out, you take the show out on the road. You know, if you, if you don't have anything to say, we, we talked about that in, in the Billy Joel episode where mm-hmm. um, actually he, he, I saw an interview with him after we did the show and someone, they asked him, Billy Joel, like, why don't you record anymore? Like, you you had so many great albums. And, he's, and he said, I had nothing left to say. Like, yeah. that was a simple, like, I was expecting something deep. And, you know, he's like, I have, I have nothing left to say. Yeah. So I mean, how do you fit so into what's, what? yeah, how you do know? you fit into the, the, the soundscape of the time? I mean, you know. Well, regardless, he just didn't you know. feel like there was nothing, like, I'm, I, I said everything. I, I Like, I made all the statements I want to. So then what do you do? You, you tour, right? So, th- so that's probably, you know, that's usually, I guess what I'm sure most bands probably feel that way. Then, you know, the who were like, yeah, we don't really, we, we've done it all. What else are we going to do? We're going to do something that is going to be okay. Or just what, or just meh, yeah. you know, it's like, we'll just, we'll just tour and we'll, we'll keep delivering and keep making a living. Uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac is, is, is doing that. And just all those, those older bands uh, journey. I mean, they may put out an album, but it comes and goes. You know, people are going to see them justifiably so for for the old stuff and the stuff that everybody puts mm-hmm. the lighters puts the lighters on for. Or nowadays they put their the the flashlight on their cell phone instead of, instead of lighting a lighter because there's no smoking allowed in anywhere. That's right. <laughs> so now the the cell phone with the the flashlight on has has replaced that. I don't know. It, it you know you, it just it makes you feel. Um, it's not it's not even nostalgia. It's it's more because the music was so timeless i mean to, to even today i could still put this stuff on and just be swept away with it yeah as much yeah. as i did back then so you know there are bands that still have that effect on me you know yeah and so, this is this this was a kind of a relatively recent one for me so and i'm glad that i sat and listened to it cuz i was really able to 
to appreciate and and really understand the the power of this album and and again how it, it you talk about won't get fooled again it fooled me because I totally had this out of time like I had yeah. this album in in my mind or I had these songs in my mind way ahead yeah so that just for that that really just made made this even more impressive for me mm-hmm. um so so as far as when you know we talk about how how does this album age or whatever it really hasn't because it does not no. sound like it doesn't sound like 71 from the beginning so it's it's certainly not going to it's 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 got an uh, a classic feel to it i actually when i put when i was cobbling together the tracks and i actually teared up because you know a lot of these songs unfortunately uh, they they're very relevant you know especially today what's going on today and you know just the idea that we're we can't see live shows right now and you know so we're actually going through what what the story is right so we're we're waiting to get back yeah you know into these these concert halls again so and, very and timely. What, you know so it, it, exactly so very very, very very prophetic very you know the the fun thing to do with this album which we'll recommend as as we're wrapping up is like i said i'm going to put a link in the show notes to the wikipedia article about lifehouse so you can really read about it about the project and i think it i think it gives even just the songs that are on who's next even if you don't you say i'm not you know what i don't want to listen to any of the other stuff that's fine uh it's still going to give you some depth and some background into this album and i think it makes it that much more enjoyable just when you when you hear what this selection of songs was going to be a part of and the fact mm-hmm. that it wasn't and they were able to pull these these songs out and just launch them into an album that is just so just terrific and so incredible. So this is I'm, I'm calling this a can't miss. A can't miss. My playlist is on Spotify. If you if you're on Spotify, you want to look it up. I'll make it public. No, well, um, I, if you're if you're okay, I can drop I can drop the link okay. in the show notes, and yeah, that'll link great. that'll link to Eric's reconstructed Lifehouse project and and he's he pulled together the stuff from odds and sods and the a's and b's and uh mm-hmm. kind of reconstructed that order um so we'll, we're going to give you some some supplemental info about Lifehouse. so so to wrap this up this album is an absolute can't miss it's a must-have if, if you're not a collector then it's a yeah. must listen or or a must save <laughs> on, on spotify or whatever you know save this album because you're going to want to kind of listen to it and and maybe listen to it a few times in a row. It's it's completely timeless. I, I think we've I think we made the case. This one was like I said. There, there's no hung jury so. on this one. We the, you know the the defense and and the prosecution they all find for the who for who's next. And and this is just a classic <laughs> among class. Absolutely. And let us know you know let us know too about the greatest scream. Listen to, listen to won't get fooled again. You know hit us up sure. on Facebook or, or Instagram. You know we, we're we're very active on social media. Um, let us know if you think this is the greatest scream in rock and roll. And if not, you know, educate me and 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 let me know what I need to listen to to, to find the greatest scream in rock and roll. But for now, we're going to pin this one as, as number one until we come to something, until we come to otherwise. Mm-hmm. So that's going to do it for us. Okay. That'll do it for the 3324 podcast. We always, we appreciate your support. You can find us on social media, 3324 podcast at uh, Facebook and Instagram. For Eric, I'm Dean. And we will catch you on the flip side. You've been listening to the 3324 podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important. So make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast and on Twitter at 3324p to join the conversation. 